Vicky is going to now come and read to us, going to bring our, the, God's word to us for this morning, and then Peter's going to come up and uh, start us off with our, the word of God this morning. So this reading is from Colossians 3, verses 1 to 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things, such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with his practices, and you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you, richly as you teach and admonish one, an- one another with wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The cross stands above it all. Because nothing in human history comes close to what God did for us there, for what Jesus did for us there. Nothing is important or significant nearly as the cross. Nothing communicates God's heart the way the cross does. Nothing reveals what people are like the way the cross does. The cross reveals the Father's heart like nothing else does or can. And when people doubt God's goodness and doubt his attitude towards us. The cross is a better answer than any words could possibly be. As Paul says, if God would give us Jesus, what would he hold back? And the cross reveals both the heights and the depths of being human. And Paul gives loads and loads of encouragement. There's, you know, set your hearts on Jesus, find a song of thanksgiving, put away all these ugly stuff, take on the good stuff. But it's not a motivational talk. 
it's not, you know, an inspiring list of stuff to make you feel better about yourself and try harder tomorrow morning. It's not a motivational talk. The way of the cross is not the way of self-improvement. I mean, it really isn't. It's not about self and improvement. The cross is about dying and coming back to life. It's about appropriating what Jesus did for us. And today we're going to look at human sexuality and issues around purity in the light of the cross. It's a sensitive subject. It always has been. And I have to say before we get started that the church has not handled this well down the ages. We have the reputation of being uptight and repressed, and this is true, and of giving the impression sometimes that nothing important happens below the neck. So we need to approach sex and sexuality with quite a lot of humility and not as if we always have the answer to life, the universe, and everything, because we don't. Not only that, but we've tended to keep God and sex in totally different compartments. We, we're not good at integrating what it means to be created as a sexual being with, well, you know, where does God fit into this? But we're terrible about it. And uh, people say things like, there's no sex in heaven. Um, and the, the Bible doesn't actually say that. The, the Bible says um, that women are not given to men in marriage in heaven. That's, Jesus did say that. But the Bible also says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we all know that some of those desires are only going to be met in heaven. And God created the joy, the intimacy, the sense of delight that go with human sexuality. So I think saying that's not going to find its echo in heaven is nuts. You don't have to agree with me. The first question, before we get anywhere near what we should do or what we shouldn't do, is which reality are we going to live in? Which story are we going to inhabit? Because there's the story of the kingdom of God. And that says that we were created from love, by love, and for love. And that when we rebelled out of pride and foolishness and deception and human DNA was damaged God ran after us with open arms even to the point of the cross to bring us home and he's going to put it all back the end is going to be better than the beginning he's going to put it all back and evil's going to be finally defeated And it's very good news and you can share in it. And it doesn't matter who you are and where you've been or what you've done. And it especially doesn't matter how you've lived with your sexuality or what you've done. 
The gospel is offensively inclusive. It's really offensive. If you've been a terrorist, an abuser, a wicked person, you can come in. You can come in. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. You can come in. And then the words that Jesus will speak over you are, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's where I want us to start and end, really, that note of grace. And if you come here, if you're here this morning, you probably own the story of the kingdom of heaven. You probably own the story of the God of love and the story of human brokenness. And you probably live in that story at least some of the time. But there is another story going on as well. Because in in the kingdom story, sex is a great gift. It's from the Father's heart. It's given for intimacy and love and joy and for connection. And two people become one flesh. And it's far more... It's far more than just a physical thing that you do. It creates a soul link between people. It's a deep connection. It's interesting. I heard some um, research, secular scientific research, just the other day that said, if you have been having sex with someone and you then break up, it causes the same reaction in the brain as it does when you break a bone. The story of the kingdom of God also recognizes human brokenness. Then every one of us, in every person in this room, our sexuality, as well as everything else, although in the image of God, is also broken and damaged. But there's also another story the dominant story of our age that all of us also live in and which also massively affects us. And it goes like this. We are accidents of time and chance who happen to be having our moment in the sun. You know, in the next millennia, when we've all blown ourselves to bits with nuclear weapons, it might be the cockroaches. But for now, we have our moment in the sun. And we're we're all good people, mostly, but ultimately there is no meaning to life except the one you construct for yourself. But don't worry, if if you can't find a cause to live for, there's plenty to enjoy if you have enough money. And, you know, we've grown up now from the age of ignorance and all that ridiculous repressive stuff that people used to live by. And now we know that gender and marriage and relationships, they are all just social constructs. Ultimately, they don't actually mean anything. And sex is just biology. It's only plumbing. It has no particular spirituality, no particular significance. It's all about you and what you want. And any attempt 
to suggest that there are some things that might help you flourish and some things that really won't, if they are external, they are oppressive and wrong, and if they are internal, then they are repressive and unhealthy, and they will stand in the way of your happiness. That bit's really important. They will stand in the way of your happiness. Because the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But this story says, no, any attempt to do anything other than what you feel like doing will stand in the way of your happiness. And this story's developed very strongly over the last 50 or 60 years. It's now dominant. Do not think it doesn't affect you because you're a follower of Jesus. It does affect you. It's out there. It's the water you swim in. Okay. As many social commentators have observed, there have been progressive disconnects, and if you could put the next slide up, between sex and children, sex and marriage, sex and male and female, sex and relationships, sex and people. And not all of these things are bad. For example, birth control, we wouldn't be against that. People being able to escape from abusive marriages, we wouldn't want to be against that. But put together, they are massively, massively, they're massively painful and damaging and hurtful to human relationships and especially vulnerable people and especially children. Sex and relationships. You know, nowadays, you, you don't need relationships with sex at all. You can get Tinder on your phone, and I think, I've not used it, but I think it tells you, I looked it up on Wiki, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to ask people who are here, who here is on Tinder. I hope you're not, if you follow Jesus. And uh, you get a photo, and it's the people who are near you. And if you think they're hot, you swipe right. Is that right? And if you think they're not hot, you swipe left. Is that right? And then if the other person does that too, you get a little message, and you can hook up, and people do. Though the interesting thing is, apparently, only about 10% of the sort of both people swipe ever result in anybody meeting anything. Because we're not just disconnecting sex from relationship, we're disconnecting it from people at all. And now lots of sex is about me and an image on a screen somewhere. Not just pornography, not just being stuck in pornography, but the little buzz you get from having five likes on Tinder today. And of course, you've put your picture up there, haven't you? And you haven't photoshopped it, obviously. All these disconnects have always been around, but now they are center stage, and they are the new orthodoxy And they are massively reinforced 
by media, advertising, social media, which deny and conceal the huge amounts of pain and human misery that they produce. And all of us are affected by the dominant story. Do not think you are not. We are influenced to behave like it and to think like it. Which is why the first question is, which story am I going to live in and make my own and inhabit? Is it going to be the story of the kingdom of God or is it going to be the story of the kingdom of me where I am center stage and it's all about what I want to do now, how I feel now, what I want now? You can put the next slide up, please. They're very different starting points and they will lead you in very different directions. If the kingdom story is mine, then I live towards it. I recognize that I'm broken. I recognize that I'm not there yet. I recognize that every day I need to come to God for help. But I'm living towards the kingdom story. And I give myself and I submit to what Jesus and the apostles taught and modeled. And that feels like death and resurrection and not just improvement. So I want to leave a bit of space and just ask you where you are with this today. And I imagine that there will be people here and for you there is very significant brokenness in sexuality and it it could be that you're just massively addicted to porn or it could be something completely different but but, you know as soon as I started speaking you kind of go oh no so you're massively your own experiences current experiences oh god I'm just so broken Or it could be that when I started contrasting the story of the kingdom of me and the story of the kingdom of God, actually the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you know you need to do something about it. You know you need to repent. You know you need to confess. You know you need to do something right now. And I'm going to, we're going to make some space for, for kind of both of those things. And we're going to do it around the prayer ministry because it's actually, it's actually very different things that you need to hear. Because if you are, you're in despair, you just come, oh God, I'm just so broken. What you need is the message of grace what you need to hear is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
And you may well need someone to pray that over you this morning, to pray the liberating and the freeing grace of Jesus over you. And if you're convicted, you may want to confess to someone. You may need right now just to come to someone at the front here afterwards and just do that old-fashioned thing of saying, you know, I've, that's me. I'm living the kingdom of, of me. I'm not living the kingdom of God. Or you may need to do, to do neither of those things. Actually, what I need to do is get an accountability partner. I need to walk this out with someone. I need to walk out the way I live out being a sexual being with someone else. It's going to be an atmosphere of grace, but it's not going to be an atmosphere of collusion. I want to walk out my story. I want to work it out with someone else. And all of those are great responses. But I also think we need to look after each other as a body and as a whole. And to remember that the kingdom of God is offensively inclusive. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. The Lord includes you. There's a huge amount of shame on this. And if I was talking about money and the worship of money, which Jesus was far, far tougher on, believe me, it, it wouldn't be the same atmosphere at all in here. But, but because it's sex, there's just so much shame. And we need to set each other free from that. We need to not let each other walk or live in shame. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I've gone on a little bit. I know it's supposed to be TED Talks, but... It's a little bit theoretical so far. I thought it would really help us to hear the experience of three brave victims who are willing to talk appropriately about how they handle trying to live the story of the kingdom of God and, you know, what's been hard, what's been easy, how's it worked out for them. So we've got Esther Scott and Joel Hamer first and then Jeremy Williams and... um, so I'm going to ask Esther and Joel to come up first. Would you welcome them, please? It's a brave thing. I've only got three chairs. Why don't you take it? What? We'll have you in a minute. We'll have you in a minute. <laughs> I've got it wrong already, haven't I? <laughs> So introduce yourselves. Hello, I'm Esther. Um, I'm 23. Um, what are you doing? I am a nanny currently. I graduated from university last summer. Yeah, and Joel and I are getting married in three weeks. Fantastic. I'm Joel. Um, Whoops. Ooh. Could have been awkward. Steady. Um, <laughs> I am studying international relations and politics. I'm also 23. I'm also getting married in three weeks. <laughs> that's, um, that's good to hear. <laughs> so 
in a culture of no boundaries and just doing what you want all of the time, how did you approach sex when you started going out and boundaries and all that stuff? Want me to go? Um, I think our, our culture, like, speaks a lot about how difficult it is to not have sex nowadays. Um, there's this lie around that, like, actually it's really impossible to not do sexual stuff because of all of the sexualization of culture, basically. Um, but I think we both went into relationship knowing that that was a lie and that we, we trusted that, actually, if, if God's plan for people is sex within a loving marriage then waiting for it would be the best thing. And so I think um, we both, first of all, we both think sex is great. We haven't had sex. But um, we have never looked at sex as a bad thing um, and thought that's something, like, terrible. That You know, I think that's quite an important thing um, to do is to see sex as this really good thing because it's a gift from God. Um, and... Uh, secondly, we just decided at the start of our relationship to never even entertain the thought that that was going to happen. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest key for us. Um, boundaries we started to set as things went on in our relationship, um, but like we've been able to stay sexually pure because from the off we decided that we weren't even going to let that be a thing that could happen in our relationship um so yeah those two things like knowing that sex is really good and secondly knowing that it's important not to entertain that in your mind yeah and i'll just add that for us like joel's kind of said it wasn't about setting well we did set physical boundaries as well but first and foremost it was setting that purity of heart and like the renewing of your mind every day like we are setting our, our thoughts on things above um, and actually, when you have that pure mindset of, well, we don't even want, like Joel said, entertain that thought, then actually it's far easier physically because if you're entertaining the thought, then that does that will lead to things physically because, um, yeah. So I'd say it's it's that having that purity of mind and of heart first and foremost that helped us. And what did you do to protect each other and help each other? Um, I think, well, firstly, like, at the right at the beginning of our relationship, we talked about everything. We were very open about everything. Um, and actually, that massively helps because where there is open communication, you, um, you feel respected and you feel honoured, well, and protected. And I think... Um, so actually we're setting boundaries ourselves in order to protect that other person. It's not just for your like, oh, I must not go past this this point. Um, it, rather than it being a fear thing, it's a protection thing of actually like, no, I want to fully protect Joel mm. and what God, um, like what God says about him and protect his purity of heart. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think one of our key beliefs is that we haven't actually been given to one another yet 
Um, it is a marriage that we are given to one another before God. Um, and so we are protecting one another and we're also honoring God in that because it's not a gift that has been given to us yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what was easy and what was difficult as you went down the path? Um, well, obviously, we both have sex drives. Like, that's something that God <laughs> has given to us, and that's something that is amazing. Um, but obviously, when it comes to it, like, I am sexually attracted to Joel. Yes, I want to have sex with him. But <laughs> it's about um, being like, that's not for now. So massively for me, I think like just when you make um, that decision to follow Jesus, that gift that you get is intimacy with God. And I think just the same, how I've always um, seen sex is this amazing gift that once you are joined in covenant with God, then um, it is yours to have. So I think, um, yeah, it was hard because physically you want to (laughs) have sex with each other, but also it was easy because... um, for us, it was kind of like, well, that's not a gift that we have right now, and it hasn't been given, as Joel said. Um, yeah. I think the hardest times are when both of you are in a very passionate moment. Um, I think when, it, when it's just one of you that is feeling like that more than the other, you, the other hopefully will be able to say, like, come on. Um, but when you're both in that position, that is why like, it's so important to get these beliefs straight in your head before, um, yeah, and so in that moment, we can be like, you know, we didn't, this wasn't, this isn't something that we are going to do um, because we've already, in our minds, been renewing that belief that this isn't for now. If you, um, if you could say one thing to people who are just starting a relationship, what would it be? Um, I think accountability and uh, su- like a support network is really important. So for both of us individually, we have close friends who we will, um, not too many, don't be open with everyone, but actually like a couple of friends who you're really close with, who you are accountable to, and they are accountable to you also. So that can be really helpful uh, I've been accountable to single friends and I felt that um, that's really, really helpful for me um, because they bring a different perspective and I've also had friends in relationships who um, I've been accountable to where you can be accountable to each other. So yeah, number one, make sure some, someone knows about your relationship, knows what's going on and is there to um, firstly encourage you, not condemn you. Um, it was never about that. It was... Um, always about encouragement and support um and yeah someone who's going to speak truth over you and be like look this is who you are who you're made to be um so that's been amazing for us we have yeah amazing friends who have been a great support to us in our relationship um i think yeah that um and also if you are going into a relationship I think I want to say, like, for people who have been in relationships that are of a sexual nature before, um, there is no condemnation. We want to, like, you know, you've said that already, Peter, and that is so true. There is no condemnation. But also, um, from that position, just from 
people I've spoken to before, I know it's very easy to think, oh, well, I've done that now. Like, you know, I might as well do it again. Um, this is a really important time to get get it set in your mind of what you believe to be right and true about what God has got for you in that relationship. And um, it's not too late. Just because you've done stuff doesn't mean that it's too late. God absolutely loves a repentant heart, and he loves the way that you turn around and seek to honor him in what you do and put him first. Um, so, yeah. yeah. And, and my final question, which I think you have actually already answered, but, my, but it was, do you think you've missed out? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I think, um, like we said, like, I'm going to use a bit of an analogy here, but if, if you look at sex as a gift and one that is given to you within marriage, um, imagine that someone has put a Christmas present under a tree for you, and um, on Christmas Eve you think, oh, I just I can't wait, I need to go and see what it is. And you run downstairs and you tear it open, and there, there is something massive lost in the fact that it hasn't been given to you by that person. And so that also means there is something huge gained in when that person gives you that gift on Christmas Day. Um, and so because that's the way we look at it and that sex is a gift and a beautiful gift, um, we don't think we've missed out because we trust that if God is going to give that to us when we become one, then waiting for it is the best thing to do and that he is going to honour that and he'll honour our sex life within our marriage. Thank you very much. That's been really great. Let's give them a hand. (laughs) Jeremy. Have a microphone. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. It's all right. (laughs) I think. Now, Jeremy, introduce yourself a little bit. Uh, yeah, my name's Jeremy, uh, married to Nikki. Uh, those of you who know us, we've got two daughters, Ellie and Charlie. Charlie's second year chef, Hallam. And uh, in terms of my working life, I'm a director of a town planning consultancy. I'm based in Sheffield. Uh, it's a business with about 11 people, so I lead the Sheffield office. Fantastic. And I, I thought it would be really good to have someone from a different context um, like you, I've been in the workplace, kind of aware of some of the issues that arise there. So what issues in, in your working life around sexuality have there been? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how have you dealt with them? Yeah, sure. I think um, the story I'm going to sort of tell a bit goes back a number of years. <clears throat> it's sort of good and, well, bad first and then better. Um, I think essentially going back in the 90s, I spent a lot of time in um, Ireland and Northern Ireland, traveling around and the job that I was working in, and a lot of time entertaining clients in Dublin, late night out, dinners, all the rest of it, getting back to the hotel room, one or two in the morning, whatever it was. And and I fell into the uh, temptation of the adult movies. Uh, Not very good, clearly. And uh, I think that was one area where in the workplace, that kind of thing um, is very easy. You find yourself tapped into that and you get caught in it. Um, but what I was kind of looking at in terms of that, that was kind of in the 90s. When I came back to Sheffield, that had kind of really been sorted out. I knew I was forgiven and everything else, but even 20 years on, I still know it is a temptation and can be, so that when I am out, 
uh, late at night if I'm staying at a hotel like I did a week ago. The boundary I have in place is I just don't put the telly on when I get back to the room. I just don't do that. Um, I think also, some of you mentioned accountability. I used to have accountability guys where if I knew I was going to be staying away, I would just tell them that I was going away for the night and they would then text me either during the evening, in the dinner and so on. So yeah, so I think that is a kind of a, a bad start. But I think when I came back to Sheffield, um, that a, a lot of that had been largely resolved. Um, but still, uh, can I just go on a minute in terms of a verse? Because what came to mind when I was thinking about this was, even though I came back to Sheffield and that whole porn area was not really a big issue for me, every time it came up at church, like today, I'd be sitting there thinking, God's saying to me, you should go forward for prayer. And the Holy Spirit's prompted me and I'd ignore it. And I say, well, why should I be? I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. I've sorted all that out. Um, but eventually, after about a third time, I did actually go forward. And I just knew that the next day, after I went forward that time, something had changed in me, that there was a different mindset and something had broken. And I can only tell you that that was just absolutely God's grace. But years later, and the verse that comes to mind, James 5:16, as I was preparing, um, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I think that's a really important principle that we often gloss over. So, yeah, in the business world, I got wrapped up in things that weren't good. But I think with that confession, although I wasn't, it wasn't an issue for me at the time, it broke something in me and God changed me. Fantastic. That's a great story. Um, and thanks for being so open with us. What would you say to people in the workplace um, just about safeguarding ourselves, protecting ourselves, putting boundaries in place? What what, what kind of advice would you give? I think um, I was thinking about this before today, and I think one really important thing, actually, is to make known that you you go to church, make known your faith really early on. Because I had a couple of clients who, um, for them, a good night out, was in the property world is very laddish, I'm afraid, culture-wise. There's a lot of drinking and, and all the rest of it. But their, their good night out after a black tie dinner was going to a lap dancing club. And um, I made it pretty clear, my faith and everything, and they knew that. And funny enough, they never asked me, would we go on to a lap dancing club? They just didn't raise it with me. So I think if you almost raise your profile in the workplace and people know you're a Christian, a man of faith, or a person of faith, then often the issue sometimes doesn't come up. So it's a boundary that's set before you get anywhere near the issue because they just know you're not going to do it, so they don't bother asking you. Yeah, that's great. And how, how can people go about, you know, if you're in the workplace, how can you go about finding an accountability partner? Um, I think within that, it may be within the church itself. Or for me at the time, um, here at Philly, it was a bunch of guys um, who I kind of, two or three of them, who I got into accountability with, uh, very important, it's three of you to me, not two of you. Otherwise, you get collusion, as you mentioned early on. And uh, you're, you're really honest and open and, and challenged. So I think it's really either seeking people out in the workplace. Again, I'm coming, a lot of, coming across quite a lot of Christians recently, actually, in the workplace, in other firms, in clients, and architects and people like that. So actually, the church redevelopment for me has been a brilliant brilliant sort of Christian profile raiser because I have developer clients and I've introduced a few here to have a look at it but they all now know I'm a Christian so I think that accountability wise I think it's partly your church but maybe you then know people in the workplace who you get to know really well and you can kind of you know team up with them and what sort of interval you know once every three years accountability yeah five no sorry um 
I think it's got to be it's got to be regular because you you you've got to live life with people. And I think when I did do it, it was probably every two or three weeks. I think we used to get yeah. together and just kind of have a yeah. bit of a catch up and a chat. And and you have to be honest. And I think you also have to re- have relationship when you're doing accountability. Because again, I tried accountability with a couple guys. And it didn't work early on because no one shared, and it was like just sitting there watching tumbleweed go across the room. Uh, it got a bit embarrassing. So I think relationships really important that you're in with them and you're willing to be honest and open. Uh, you got to be. There's no point. I just can't be bothered doing it with people. You know, accountability if people aren't going to be honest and open. Yeah, I think that's right. I think from my own experience, choosing that last five percent of accountability is the thing that really makes the difference. Yeah. You say exactly what's going on yeah no yeah. definitely and, and you challenge each other as well yeah yeah thank you very much jeremy really appreciate you coming yeah. mike come and help me i think what i'd like you to do um If you are the sort of person who makes notes on your phone, get your phone out and put on it one thing that you want to take away from today. Because it's so easy, isn't it? You leave the room and you've lost it. So I want to invite you to take out your phone and put one thing on it that you want to take away. And um, I'm going to invite you to, in your prayer time, to, to bring that back to God. Give him a minute or two. I think we're gonna we're gonna do some prayer ministry, but I'm not quite sure how to do it. I think what I'm going to do, I think what we need to do, and this is, this is a body thing, um, it's not just about me individually and my purity or lack of it, it's about us as, as a body being in it together, supporting and helping each other, and particularly that we're going to have a no shame and no condemnation culture. So I'm going to read David's psalm that he prayed when he blew it with Bathsheba. Um, and it's a prayer of confession and forgiveness. And it's, it's not just for you, it's for us. Um, and I'm just going to read it over us. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth and from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inward parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all iniquity. And I think, I think what we should do, I think we're going to end in worship and we'll end the service then and we'll do prayer ministry over there in the usual way for people who need physical healing or any other need you want to bring to God. And also, if you need to confess right now, you have the chance to do that. And if you want someone to minister to you about your brokenness or anything else, you can do that but no one's going to know why you're there or what for, and we'll do it like that. Is that all right? That's great. Can I also just say as well, um, for, some of the, for some people, it'd be lots of different responses for different people, but for some people, we have ways of um, giving you more opportunity for more extended prayer on any issue that you would like to talk about, and it's all confidential, but if you come talk to me or Peter, we can, we can arrange for that to happen as well. Sometimes that is really helpful for people and for counselling as well. Um, so let's stand together. Can the worship band come up, please? Um, if you remember those things that Peter talked about uh, when he was talking about the might be, uh, ways that you want to respond, um, the prayer ministry team are going to come over there after we've worshipped. And uh, so we just be asking God, how do you want me to respond? What is it you want me to do? What is the next step for me? You may, you may already have written this down, but be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying as we worship.